Well, good morning. Thank you for, uh, for allowing me to fill this space uh, this morning. Uh, I, Pastor Mark had to dig really deep because Mike was last week, uh, and I'm somewhere along the third string uh, to fill this this morning. And uh, as you see up there, I am known as Farmer Dude because I'm not really in ministry right now. I'm learning to farm, so I'm not really a farmer. I'm learning to farm. Uh, but it is good to be home. Uh, as a pastor's kid, we moved around a lot. And uh, as I became a pastor myself, we moved some. People would ask me, you know, where's home for you? Uh, I would, without a doubt, without a hesitation, Xenia was always home for me. And so um, I'm just pleased and, and happy to be able to speak this morning, and so I, I, my prayer has just been that God would use me this morning in some, some way for what he's prepared on my heart to say to you that it would make an impact for his, his kingdom. So as I begin this morning, I have a question for you. How many of you have ever, um, ever agreed to something that you regretted? Anybody? All right, look around. Uh, for the hands that are raised, thank you for your honesty. The rest of you are liars uh, because you know that you've done something or you've agreed to something that you regret. It might be like buyer's remorse, right, uh, where, where maybe you've even purchased something. You've spent money on something and you regretted doing that later. You made a decision. Uh, you were excited about your decision, but something happened in the course of making the decision and uh, you were disappointed. I, I don't know what it might be, but if you looked around and you saw the amount of hands that were up, you know that we're all in good company. We've all been there. We've all made decisions. We all thought we were doing the smart thing or the right thing. And for one reason or another, we regretted the decision or we were disappointed about it for, for whatever reason, right? We've all been there, right? Uh, I, I would like to think that the, the message this morning would be one of hope for you if you think you've made a decision, if you've said yes to something that you've regretted or, or you were disappointed in, I, I would like to hope that the message this morning is one of encouragement, the one that brings hope to a hopeless situation, uh, but it's really about saying yes. Uh, I, I know that, that uh, saying yes sometimes is hard. Uh, it's, it's hard to say yes because we like to know the outcome. We like to know the, the avenues of the situation that we're saying yes to, right? So we can kind of portray how we will be able to navigate through it, right? Well, I want to I look at a passage of Scripture this morning and several different passages of Scripture that kind of support this. But I want you to look at this passage of Scripture with me from Mark chapter 1. This is the calling of, of the disciples, and I know that you've probably read this, but we have, to, we have to read it. We have to kind of get some backstory to it to understand it. But Mark chapter 1, verse 16 says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That's what fishermen did back then. There was no fishing poles. They, they threw the nets out. Uh, that's how they fished. Jesus comes along and he says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people, or I'll make you fishers of men. And then it goes on, it says this, at once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and they followed him. All right, so I know that you're thinking in, in today's context of 2022, uh, if, if somebody comes along to you and says, hey, come follow me, you're thinking there comes some complete whack job, right? 
Okay, put yourself in this situation. You're getting into your car. You've got your groceries and whatnot. You're coming out of Walmart, Kroger, wherever it might be. And somebody says, hey, come follow me. I'm going to put money on the fact that the thing that you're going to do is you're going to get your groceries, your kids, whatever you've got in the car. Maybe you leave your groceries. You get in the car, you lock the doors, and you take off in whatever direction you can to get as far away from this nut job as possible, right? So if somebody says, come follow me today, you're like, no, you've probably got some van that says free candy on the side or something like that, right? And you're not into that. So in our society today, we don't understand why these four guys would leave their livelihood to follow this guy of which they've never met by saying three words, come follow me. That's what Jesus said to them in the midst of what they were doing. They were fishermen. That's what they knew how to do. That's how they made their money. But they said, come follow me. Or he said, come follow me. And they left what they were doing to come follow Jesus. Now, here's what you have to understand about that situation to make it not seem so crazy. So these guys were Jews, and they were Jewish boys at one point in time, and these Jewish boys, they went through school, and when they were in school, their main goal was they had to do these certain things in school so that they could potentially be noticed by the local rabbi. So the rabbi was the, the uh, spiritual teacher of their, their area, their town, their whatever, and their whole deal was they longed to, to be the next rabbi. And so when the rabbi saw something in one of the students where they stood out, the rabbi would go to that student, that boy, and he would say, come follow me. I want you to be my apprentice. I want you to be what I'm going, what I want you to, what I want to teach you to be. I want you to be, I want you to fill my shoes, basically. And so here are these four guys that have longed their whole lives to hear these three words from the rabbi. And Jesus utters the words, come follow me. Now, what you have to understand is the words come follow me and what Jesus was saying was only used by the rabbi. They would have never heard this from anyone else except the rabbi that saw something in them and wanted them to become his apprentice to lead their area. So now as an adult, they're out fishing. They've longed to hear the words, come follow me. They studied the, the first five books of what we know as the Bible, the Pentateuch. They had them, uh, you know, submitted to their memory. Uh, and they finally heard the words, come follow me. And they knew, they didn't know this guy, but they knew that he was a rabbi because of the way that he uttered these words. And no one else would have said this to these guys. So they had a longing to hear the words, come follow me. So when you, when you read this, I want you to understand there's more to this story than just a crazy guy they didn't know asking them to leave their livelihood and come follow him. So first thing I want us to understand when we look at uh, saying yes, when we say our first yes to God, it definitely makes us nervous, right? If you remember back to when you uh, and maybe invited Christ into your life, into your heart, uh, there were some nerves there. Maybe not for you. Maybe it wasn't in the moment, in the instant of saying yes to God. Maybe it was kind of like the buyer's remorse where you got home that, that afternoon, that evening, that night, whatever. Or the next morning you woke up and you realized, what did I just do? There's some, there's some nerves that go along with that. It makes us nervous. It's scary, but, but unless you understand it, you don't know how freeing saying yes to God actually is, right? So when we say yes, it brings about a lot of feelings, but really, it's a freeing thing. And it's dangerous for us to say yes 
to something that we can't control the outcome. And a lot of times when we look at saying yes to Jesus or saying yes to God, we can't see really what the outcome of it is. Other than hoping to make it to heaven, we really can't see or know what he's going to ask us to do. So therein lies, it's a little fearful for us to say yes to him if we can't control the outcome. Uh, I think it was last year, uh, Netflix came out with this movie called Yes Day. Any of you parents seen this movie? Anybody? All right. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie, as, as a parent, you have kids, uh, it's a good movie, but don't watch, it without, or, or don't watch it with your kids first, okay? Make sure that you watch it by yourself, because when you watch it with your kids, they're going to want to do what this movie kind of talks about, which is okay. You'll understand it when you watch the movie. But if you watch it with them, you're not going to know how to really come at different angles until... You can. Anyway, the movie, basically, the parents of this movie, they realize that up until they're, they're I think they've got a young teenager, or, or maybe there's two of them that are teenagers in the house, but they realize up until this point in, in their children's lives that they, they continually say, no, no, you can't do this, no, don't go there, no, don't touch that, no, 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 and, and, and as a parent, we, I've been there, right? I'm sure you have, maybe you're in that stage right now where you, you just don't want your kid's hands to get burnt off, so you tell them, no, don't touch the stove, and so in this movie, the parents realize that they're saying no a lot, and, and I think at one point in time, the mom looks around and she sees the pictures of her and her now husband, maybe when they were dating or maybe it was before children or whatever, that they're, they're skydiving together or they're rock climbing or they're doing some of these fun things together. And she's now telling her kids or they're telling their kids no to the very things that they've done. And so at some point in time in the movie, you'll have to watch it. I don't want to spoil it. But at some point in time in the movie, they realize they need a yes day. Or they think they need a yes day. And so the parents tell the children that they're going to give them one day to say yes to whatever. Now, if you're a parent, you know that this is absolute lunacy. And if you think that this is a good idea, please do it. Video every aspect of it because I want to see it. Uh, but it's, it's nuts. You would never really volunteer for this. And I don't care what stage of life your kids are in. But if you can't say no to something and your kids, they know that. Holy smokes, it's, it's like a, a dumpster fire waiting to happen. Uh, but, but for us, I think that's, that's the way it seems maybe for us if we feel like we have to submit to God. We, we, we don't know what's going to happen, so we, we can't really feel like we're going to say yes. At one point in time in the movie, I do have to say this because this was hilarious. They've already said yes. They get up on yes day. The kids do their makeup and they, make, they do their hair and they look ridiculous. Uh, they make them wear these, these outfits, like superhero outfits. And so the mom and the dad all day long look like idiots. Uh, but they decide to take the car through the car wash. And as they go through the car wash, one of the kids in the back yells, windows down. And on yes day, they can't say no. So as they're going through the car wash, the windows come down, soap, water everywhere. They all scream. You know, it looks like it's fun, but everybody in this room knows, ain't no way I'm saying yes to my kids for everything. And that's the way it is for our lives as Christians. Sometimes it's like, man, I want to follow God. I want to be totally devoted to him, but I don't know what he's going to ask me to do. And for me, I don't know if I like losing that kind of control to know how to respond, react, and what I can say yes or what I can say no to. Well, there's a quote from, from Lisa Turkers that I want us to, to kind of look at. She is a, a famous Christian author and speaker, and she says this, saying yes to God isn't about perfect performance. 
when we say yes to him, it's not about our performance in saying yes to him, but rather perfect surrender to the Lord day by day. Your obedience becomes radical the minute this desire turns into real action. Your obedience becomes radical the minute this desire turns into real action. Radical obedience is hearing from God, feeling his nudges, participating in his activity, and experiencing his blessings in a way few people ever do. So when we say yes to him, it's not about what we can do and how awesome we look and, 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 and praying awesome prayers that most people don't know what we're saying. It's really about this day by day submitting to him and saying yes every morning before our feet hit the floor. It's really about inviting him into our world and saying, whatever you want, Lord, help me to be a true submission to your will. It's day by day. And, and how do uh, habits start? Day by day by day. You make a commitment to make a difference, to do something. It starts when we are obedient. So thing one is when we say yes, our first yes to God, it makes us nervous. The second thing I want to look at is, is when we say yes, it allows God to prove himself and his faithfulness. So when we say yes, it allows God to prove himself. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says this, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. Not lowercase g's there, that's, that's the big time, that's who God is. He's Lord, he's God. He is faithful, he's a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and what? Keep his commands. So by saying yes, we decide to keep his commands. We're going to follow after him. And we say yes, and we know that God is faithful because he's never failed. We see you sing that he never has failed me yet. You're right. Like we're like we're expecting him to fail. That's not how God works. God doesn't fail. It's not in his vocabulary. It's not in his his way of actions God doesn't fail the only thing he knows how to do is promise and come through on his promises you don't think that's true well look at the old testament and how the promises were fulfilled in Jesus through the new testament he doesn't know how to fail that's not in his nature it's not who he is but I can tell you personally from from my experience as, as saying yes to God he's never failed me I had the opportunity, and, and I grew up in this church, like I said before, uh, I, I had the opportunity to really surrender my life to God at this altar. It really wasn't this altar uh, because the, the carpet was orange and the kneeler pad on the front of the, the altar was, was orange, but it was right over here, and I really fully submitted to what God wanted me to do with my life. And from that moment, from that moment, I can say that he has been most faithful for the last two and a half years, uh, up until May, my wife and our two boys lived in a 30-foot fifth-wheel camper. Uh, I, was, I was a youth pastor for 15, 16 years. I was, I was an executive pastor for two years. Within the last several years of our lives in ministry, we felt like the Lord was calling us to something different. We didn't know what it was, but we were willing to go wherever God wanted us to go. And so at one point in time, we felt like the Lord was asking us to step outside of ministry to do something different, and uh, when we decided to do that, and we felt like that's what he wanted us to do, we started looking for houses. We, we had the idea that we were moving here. We started looking for houses, and houses kind of were crazy. Uh, not quite as crazy as they are right now, but they were crazy, and we were like, we're not doing a house. God provided this 30-foot fifth wheel, and we lived in it literally behind a barn for two and a half years. 
And you're like, right now you're thinking, man, if that's what saying yes to God looks like, I don't want anything to do with it. But let me tell you this. In the two and a half years that we lived in a camper, I never needed anything. My boys didn't need anything. My wife, we didn't need, was there things that we wanted? Sure. And there's things like that you want and you live in a house and you've never lived in a camper. But there's things that, that, that we never needed. God always provided our needs. Why? Because we stepped out on faith knowing that he called us and we said yes to where he wanted us to go. And we knew that he was never going to fail us because he hadn't done it before. Why would he do anything contrary to what he had done before if he's asking us to go here? He asked us once. We said yes. We keep saying yes. He's been faithful. Why not do this? We never needed a thing. He's always been faithful. So when we say yes, it allows God to prove himself and his faithfulness. The third thing is when we say yes to God, it makes the next yes easier. Makes the next yes easier. It's not always easy, but it makes it easier. The, the first yes makes every other yes you say worth the risk. Because when you, when you say yes once, it's that nervousness, it's that scariness, but God's proven himself through that yes if you allow him to do so. And so, so when we come to this next time, it's, it's a little easier and we know that he's done it. So this one's got to be worth the risk of saying yes a second time. And so when, when we accept being a part of his story, our story becomes something worth telling. And I know this to be true because a lot of us have come through situations and times in our lives where really we don't want to repeat what has happened, what we did, how we acted, what we said, how we responded, right? But when we accept Christ and we continue the yeses, I would almost be willing to bet that you're telling part of your story that you swore you would never tell. Why? Because when you said yes, God took something that you thought was horrible, so so wrong, so nasty, a part of you that you wanted to hide, and God's saying, look, I want to use that. And so when we say yes, the next yes becomes that much easier and our story becomes something that we want to tell rather than something that we want to hide from. A a guy that I know in scripture that that this is is true of is is Saul who became Paul. And we see that, that Saul, when he said yes, he transformed the way that we look at Jesus. Saul transformed the way that we look at Jesus. In in Acts chapter 9, it says this, uh, verse 20, says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name of Jesus? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners and chief priests? Isn't this the guy that was holding the coat of, of, of the guys who were stoning Stephen? Isn't this the guy that we're all afraid of and, and now he's here preaching about Jesus? Isn't this the guy? Verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul went from persecuting Christians to proving that Jesus was who he said he was. Saul went from taking these very people who called on Jesus' name, he went from the guy who was dragging them out of their homes, having them potentially stoned, like whatever you can imagine. Paul was the dude taking and tearing apart Christianity. He went from that and scaring anybody he came in contact with that, that was a believer. He came in contact with them, and now he's preaching in front of them, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Talk about a radical transformation, and that's what happens when we say yes to God. That's what happens. God makes radical transformations in who we are and what we do, the words we say, the influences that we have. When we allow him to be used in us and us to be used in him, radical things happen. Number four, saying yes to God means saying no to some things. Now, I get it. This is probably the one point that if, if you happen to be on the fence about really surrendering to God, you're like, this is why I'm not going all in. It's because we're afraid. Or if you know somebody and you're like, man, they're probably not, they're not going to be a Christian because they don't want to give up whatever that is. But when you come to know God and you've said yes, sometimes those things that, that we think are going to be awesome or we think are going to be so good for us, sometimes those things God's like, you can't see the full picture. What you think is going to be good for you, you have no idea the depth of the bad that is in that, and I want to save you from that. Uh, case in point, um, maybe you, you want to admit this or maybe you don't. How many of you in this room have ever thought about how life would be different if you married someone you liked when you were younger? Don't everybody raise your hand at once, man. So I think we've all been there. We've kind of let our minds kind of travel down that road. And oh man, I am so thankful that I didn't end up in, in that situation uh, or those situations. So thankful that God saved me. But why? Because he knows better. He sees the bigger picture. And if we would have gotten our way, how much more messed up would we be? And how much more, more muck and mire would we have to feel like we have to pull ourselves out of all when we would have just said yes and just let him have his way to let us be a part of his story and him to be a part of our story to save us from all of the stuff that we could have saved ourselves from. We interviewed here uh, at this church, uh, I want to say it was probably uh, 2012. Some of you know this, some of you don't. And uh, so I want to clarify this for those of you who do. If those of you don't, you're in the dark anyway, I'll fill you in. Uh, in 2012, we inter interviewed here at this church, and, and like I said, this is, this is home to me. Uh, and so I had this, this desire to be uh, here at, at, with, with friends, with people that I knew. At the current time, um, the church that I was serving at, we had 22 different schools represented in our youth group, and it was a train wreck trying to get to all the schools to visit, to, to just go to football or basketball. It was nuts. And so I was like, man, this is a one high school town. It would be amazing. It's people I know. So we interviewed interview went great. The people that were there on the board, some of you sitting in this room, it was a great interview. I felt no uh, negative anything after the interview. And so my wife, our two boys, we left. We're going to our hotel and we're on 35 heading towards 71. And I get a text from Pastor Mark. And in true Pastor Mark fashion, all the text said was, unanimous decision, balls in your court. And so I, I read it really quick. I showed it to my wife, and uh, we're, we're driving, and, and she just puts the phone down. And, and, and almost right after that moment, I felt the, like the Lord was sitting in the passenger seat, and he whispered in my ear. He said, you're going to have to tell him no. And I was like, this is, this is what I want. This is, this is where I want to be. I know these people. I, I feel like I would fit in in the town. And, and I, I argued my case silently because my wife would have thought I was nuts. I argued my case silently in the car, and I heard him say it again. He said, you're going to have to tell them no. And I was hurt. 
um, I, I actually told Pastor Mark, I said, you know, I'm going to need a couple days because I really, I, I, you know, you get spiritual in those moments. I really need to pray about it. Really what I was thinking is I really need to argue it out with God some more. And uh, so the rest of the story is this. Uh, while I wanted to be here, God knew what was best for you and this church and these students because Nate and Mindy is who this church took in as their youth pastor. And, and I want you to understand this. I am not Nate. There's no way in, in this world that I could ever uh, be as effective as Nate and Mindy were at loving students here in this church and in this community. There's no way that I would have been able to do that because I thought I was going to be perfect at, at, at filling this position and being here as a youth pastor. And I thought I had, I met all the requirements. and ex But God saw what was better. And he knew that Nate needed to step into where he is at now. And he would not, maybe, maybe he would not have been better suited for that until he had the experience here with you, your students, and this church to serve Jesus. So who am I to want to steal that from what God wants to do? Right? So if we think we know what's best, man, it just, it just ends up a train wreck. But if we allow and we say yes to God and we allow him to work, things work out so much better. Maybe, maybe for us, but definitely for the kingdom. I had the opportunity to perform a wedding a few years ago at, uh, when I was at our last church, and I didn't know these people. Um, their, I think it was their niece or something asked me if I would be willing to do this wedding. So sure, you know. So it, I, I don't know if anyone in here is Puerto Rican, uh, but the, the, the wife, she's Puerto Rican. The, the, the husband, he was uh, African-American. They came from a blended family. She had a couple of kids from different relationships. I think they had one together. Um, and so I, I, I agreed to do this. I only spoke to them on the phone. Never saw them until the day of the wedding. And so, uh, which they should be easy to find, right? You know, somebody wearing a white dress and somebody wearing a, a suit. And so I show up. But I'd spoken to them on the phone, and I said, uh, you know, I'm going to do something a little different during your ceremony. I said, but you just have to trust me. And they didn't know me from Adam, so I just went ahead. But even if they would have said no, I probably would have still done it. And it worked out really well. So I show up, and uh, if you know anything about Puerto Ricans, if you're Puerto Rican, I'm sorry. Maybe this is just a stereotype that I know from this particular situation and family. But I waited up front for like 15 minutes, looking like a fool, for her to show up. I thought she left. I thought, she ain't coming. Uh, you know, this is, and, and he's like standing up there beside me, and I, like we're both like kind of looking at each other. I'm like twiddling my thumbs, I don't know what's going on. So, anyway, she comes in, the whole thing goes off really, really well. Uh, we, you know, ex they exchange their vows, and, and what I did in the next moment uh, was something that I didn't know how important it was, not only to their relationship and to the marriage and to the people that were there, but really to what I'm about to tell you and, and the importance of our relationship with Jesus as, as fellow Christ followers. I had them, they were standing there exchanging vows and rings and that, and as, as they got done, I had them turn towards the congregation. And I told their families, their friends, I said, would you guys please stand? And so they stood, and, and then I had vows for their friends and their family. I said, you know that they've got kids and they're going to need a date night, and if you would agree to step in and, and be their babysitters, would you say we will? And the people said we will. You know, if you see them having arguments and you know that they're going through tough times, and would, would you be the ones who will step in and lead them in a loving way to reconcile their differences? If so, and so we went on for several different things. And, and after the, the wedding was over, some, some of the people said, man, that was so, so good. Where did you come up with that? It's like, I don't know. It just came to me. We just 
just went with it. It was good. And, and so they, they really enjoyed it. But for me, what I realized is this is the way that it should be with us and other believers. Right? If you see somebody who's made a commitment to, to Christ and you don't see them really following through with that commitment to Christ, but yet you know they made a decision, they made the commitment, and they're not living up to it, isn't it our job to come alongside of them and say, hey, wait, you made this commitment. Let's, let's work on this together. I, I, th- I think it's important because Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25 says this, hold, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess For he who promised is faithful. It goes back to what we just read a few minutes ago. uh, Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what is this saying? It's saying that if you see somebody that's made a commitment, our job as fellow believers is to spur them on in love. Now, what does a spur do? You've seen the Western movies. They put, them, they put the spurs on their boots, and when they want the horse to, to just take off, they really dig it in, right? Right in their, their flank section, then horse just takes off. But really, what spurs are made for is getting that horse, along with the reins, the spurs are made for getting that horse to do what you need it to do, to go in a direction that you see as the rider, you see fit for that horse to go. And so for us, it's not really a jabbing of the spurs into the person that's not living right. It's a gentle, loving aspect of saying, hey, I know you made this commitment or I see some things and I want to be there. And it, and it takes, here's the deal. Here's why we don't do it is I'm just gonna call you out on it, call myself out. The reason we don't do it is because it's messy. And when we see people going through a mess, we back up and let the mess happen. Or, if you're like today's society, what do you do? You take out your phone and you start filming the mess because this could be gold, right? That's the way we act. Rather than interjecting in the mess and saying, look, I want to restore you back to the relationship that you first started in. When you said, yes, I see some things in you and I know you need to be going there, how can I lovingly spur you on towards love and good deeds and action through the word of Christ? See, most of us say yes once, but we forget that the continual yes is where we find true satisfaction in living life. See, when we say yes once and we just leave it at that one time where we said, yes, Lord, come into my heart, woo, you know, when we just leave it at that, but we don't do the continuation of saying yes day by day and making that a part of our lives, I don't believe you've truly said yes. If you just leave it at the one-time action, really it's just surface, and you just wanted to say, well, this will get me into heaven. But really the continuation of saying yes day day by day by day by day really makes the difference in how we live our lives. It's the joy that we find. It's the satisfaction that we find. And when you begin to understand that the saying yes is where you potentially lose the control and let God control your life there's joy there there's freedom there there's satisfaction there and it might be hard in the moment but if you can allow yourself to see your life through God's eyes he knows what's best for you and when we say we're Christians but we don't actually actually live like Jesus we distort the real meaning of what it means to be a Christian If you call yourself a Christian, but you're not living the way that Jesus has called you to live, guess what? Those people that you're trying to make an influence on don't want anything to do with you. 
they, they see the way that you're living your life, they hear the things that you say, and they see what you do on the weekends when you're not with them, and they're like, man, if that's it, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. Because we're distorting what it means to be a Christian. The word Christian actually was, was meant to be like, to make fun of people following Christ. It means to be a little Christ. And so when you say you're a Christian, but you don't live like one, it's, it's a true distortion of what it truly means. And when we say we're a Christian, but we don't live like it, we don't live the way that Jesus wants to live, we, we, we cheapen the image of God to those who don't know him. We cheapen the image of a great God when we're not living to our full potential of how he wants us to live. And you want to be upset with, with somebody, don't be upset with me, because James chapter 4, verse 17 says this, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. So if you know you've said yes, this isn't going from pointing the finger to somebody else, if you know you've said yes, but you're not doing what, what God has asked you to do, or, or you know that you should be saying yes to something else, whatever that yes might be, and you're not living it out, it's not me. That's James. And James was pretty good friends with Jesus, if I do remember. So if we're not saying the yeses, if we're not continually saying yes, we're living a life that's not glorifying to what God wants us to do. There was a, a service, and, and I know we had uh, Ben and Catherine Radcliffe here a few weeks ago, and, and their missionaries are doctors in, in Papua New Guinea. But when I was a kid, when you had a missionary service, missionaries would come in, they would, I, 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 I'm going to paint a weird picture for you. I remember right over here, there was an overhead projector, and they would show pictures on it. And sometimes it was the old slide projector with the round thing, and it's ka you know what I'm talking about? Missionaries would come in and they would show pictures of their mission field. And then after the service, as the service would wind down, the missionary would might, uh, you know, ask if anybody was, felt a call to be in missions. And so this missionary was in the church and, and he did this, the same thing. And there was a little five-year-old girl who gets out of, of her seat and she walks down to the altar and, and her parents are standing there kind of stunned and she walks down and she kneels down and that she prays and, and the, the missionary ends the service. They get in the car to go home and the little girl's dad says, baby, do, do you feel like God wants you to be a missionary? Is that why you went down front? And the little girl said, no, daddy, I, I don't feel like I supposed to be a missionary she said but I just wanted to put my yes on the altar for when God calls me to do whatever he wants me to do later and so I'm going to ask you what is it for you what is your yes because we're all called to something and if you think for a second that your yes is just to come and fill a seat on Sunday morning you've missed the much greater picture and if you think your yes is just to become a part of a small group or come to youth group or be a part of something that makes you feel more churchy, what, you've missed the much greater picture because saying yes, it comes at a cost. But the cost is something that is so fulfilling and so rewarding. There's a lot of things I've done in my life, but none have been more important than saying yes to Jesus. None have more been, been, been more influential in my life than, than submitting to what he wanted me to do in the moment and in the following moments and the following days because I found more fulfillment when I just said, Lord, whatever you want me to do. There was one point in time at this altar that I laid my wallet on the altar and it was, it was I thought money was super important to me at the time and I said, Lord, here's my wallet. Whatever comes into it and whatever goes out of it, it's yours. Whatever you want to do. 
And I think it was at that moment that God says, okay, he's really ready to go. And I didn't, I didn't want to be a pastor. I mean, you, you be a pastor's kid and tell me you want to do it. I don't want to do it. But the Lord had something greater for me through that. Why am I a farmer now? It's because I said yes back then. It's because I don't know how not to say yes to him when he calls on my name now. And if he calls me tomorrow and says, hey, I want you to quit that and I want you to go here, he's going he's to make it happen. He'll, he'll pave the way for it. I understand because of his faithfulness in the past, he will not be faithful to me in the future if I will just listen and obey his commands. And so for you today, I don't know what it is, but I do know this. I do know that each and every one of you individually and as married couples and as parents, there's a yes there that we need to continually say every day to the Lord. We need to be obedient to what he wants. We need to be listening. If you're, if you're filling your life so much with, with social media and whatever else to, to kind of like drown out what he wants you to do, listen, he will get a hold of you one way or another if he really wants to use you. Or guess what? The hard thing is he may go to somebody who's listening and he might pass you right by. But if you want to live a fulfilling, satisfied life, it starts with a simple yes. And so this morning, as those who are going to be serving uh, communion, I ask that you would come to the table uh, even now. And as we do the very thing that Jesus did with his disciples before he died, I want you to understand this. In the hardest moment of Jesus' life, when he could, could have called down angels to come and rescue him, do you know what Jesus did? You know what he said? Not my will, but yours. That was Jesus' way of saying, yes, God, yes, Father, whatever you want for me to do, I'm there. I'm all in. This, I, I don't see the greater plan yet, Father, but whatever you want me to do, it's not my will, it's not what I want, because if it was up to me, I wouldn't be going to go to that cross. But Jesus said to God the Father, not my will, but thine. And so this morning, as, as we do what we always do around here after the service, as the service is winding down, it's, it's a time of communion. It's a time of reflection. But it's a time of remembering what Jesus knew the night that he broke bread with his disciples. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew that they were going to turn their backs on him. But you know what he said to his disciples as he passed the cup? Come. Come to the table of grace. I'm everything you need. I know what you're going to do, but I'm still going to love you in spite of you. And so this morning, as, as we receive communion together, maybe this will be different for you than any other Sunday has ever been. Maybe this will be the time where you fully say yes. So I want to invite you even now. Would you stand? Would you come? Would you take communion and know that God is calling you to something deeper, something better, something more rich, something more valuable for you in your life?